Welcome to the Drive Time News Blast. 30 minutes, 50 for subscribers, of news of the day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. Our top story in the same news feed, the same news hour, I heard that the mask mandate at transportation hubs had been extended. It was due to expire today, and you were going to not have to... There wasn't going to be a federal requirement to wear masks in the airports or on airplanes. That was due to expire today, but it had been extended by the CDC last week. Then, also today, later in that same news hour, I heard that the mask mandate, as laid out by the CDC, which is what we're talking about here, was struck down by a federal judge. So here's what the language was in uh the story read, a federal judge in Florida struck down on Monday the Biden administration's mask mandates for airplanes and other public transportation methods. U.S. Dis- District Judge Catherine Kimball Mazel said the mandate was unlawful because it exceeded the statutory authority of the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and because it implementa- its implementation violated administrative law. So I was thinking... Was it the extension that did it? Was it like it was just weird timing to me that it was struck down today that the CDC could have just expired and there would have been no ruling on it. If, it, if the CDC had let it expire today, that judge wouldn't have had reason to release that ruling. But she did release the ruling because they extended it to May 1st. It just seemed like a weird thing to do. Maybe they thought they were going to get the ruling in their favor. I don't know. But now there's a federal ruling on the books that that is overreach for the CDC. And it wasn't just the extension that was overreach. It was the mandate overall. So this case began almost a year ago in July 2021. People might be interested to know it's Sarah Pope and Anna Daza and the Health Freedom Defense Fund. They sued various government officials as well as the CDC seeking a declaratory judgment that the mask mandate was unlawful and to have it set aside for violating the Administrative Procedure Act. Now, what I'm reading is from the decision by the judge. Both parties subsequently moved for summary judgment. Those motions are now ripe for review. And the court concludes that the mask mandate exceeded the CDC's statutory authority and violates the procedures required for agency rulemaking under the APA, which I think is the Administrative Procedures Act. It says uh, the court vacates the mandate and remands it to the CDC. So it's basically done. And I don't know if the CDC is going to rewrite it, but what the what the decision goes into is that normally if you were going to have a rule like that, it would either pertain to foreigners or foreign travelers trying to enter the U.S. or to people who have been screened for actually maybe having the illness. This is just a blanket rule that allows them to expel people who are traveling with this who are from this country, traveling within this country, and have shown no signs of illness or infectiousness. So that's one thing that she said. And then the other, but the thing that I really picked up on, or I just found a, a sign of the times, an unfortunate sign of the times, and the danger of this whole equality movement, is it says the U.S. Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy, said last week that part of the reason for the extension of the mask mandate was because of rising COVID-19 cases and the settings created by travel. Quote, we bring a lot of people together in a closed setting for a prolonged period of time 
And here's the thing that got me. And not everyone has the option to not travel. It's not the split infinitive I didn't like. It was the, it was the, her reasoning. She said, uh, such as traveling on a plane to see a sick mother or traveling for work to keep a job. She said it's not necessarily an option for people. And because folks are together for a long period of time, CDC has leaned into being cautious. Okay. So she's saying because people don't have the option not to travel because of a sick mother or work. Now, this, every, you have the option not to travel. Yeah, you you have the option. They prevented us from traveling exactly for well over a year at least. Right, and they they lock your mother away so that you cannot see her even if you wanted to. To to this day, I mean, the last person I know who went to a hospital could not bring anybody with them. So yes, so they are absolutely denying you the right to visit your sick mother under many other circumstances for absolutely no good reason. You could be actually proven to not, or at least use their PCR test to not have it and still not be allowed to go see your mother. And they locked people down from going to their jobs so that it was just extremely regressive. Anybody who could Zoom got their job done and anyone who had to do their job in person lost their job. I mean, it literally happened that way. And, but the, the problem with equality, so they're saying some people, some people are traveling optionally and some people aren't. And because we can't, we can't have a penalty because people don't, cannot, cannot, which is bull, opt not to do this. No one's allowed to do it. So you could have everybody go and not wear a mask and you take your chances and you make your choices. But because some people don't have a choice, we have to deny absolutely everybody their liberty. So like I knew somebody who had a hairdressing place on in Dallas and it was very skin of the teeth. It was in his house. You were allowed to have stuff like that in your house. There it was easy to zone. Then all of a sudden they put down a regulation that you had to have a handicap ramp going to any establishment like that. The guy had one chair. He had none of his clients were handicapped. He had 10 clients or 10 clients a day or whatever. He was completely full. He didn't need to have any new clients. And he had to close down his shop or go to a public place because they didn't have equal access for handicapped people to his place where there were no handicapped people. And, you know, I'm just saying, and I wasn't saying they went bankrupt for that reason. I'm saying that these marginal costs can be the difference maker. So, and likewise, the other thing that they don't say is that there's an, uh, they act like the mask mandate is for sure a lifesaver. And there's no reason to think that it's not a net health hazard. They're not even checking the facts on this. So I just, it's just, they always, they often use the equality excuse to limit our freedom, steal our money, require us to pay money, but never the equality of liberty. Right. Your your inequality is is your own personal problem, your beef with God. But being treated e- with equality under the law and to have equal liberty to the extent it doesn't actually butt up against somebody else's liberty. I mean, that was a Thomas Jefferson quote I just put on locals it's that is the thing so anyway it's just 
an example of how equality is uh, is used to steal your money and it's just exploited, and they don't ever yeah. actually intend to right. pursue equality. It's something that's unattainable. It's literally yeah, and impossible. It's, they pick and choose what's equality, especially when they make it subjective and they make it the respect revolution. So not just equality and stuff. And oh, it has to money, be dignity. It's the way that you're treated, the dignity. Yes. Once they basically solved the poverty problem, it couldn't be about that. It had to be about something totally. Yeah, something you could move. Goalpost, you could move. Yeah, exactly. They love the goalpost that came. So I know, I know Ukraine is the ta- story of the day, but I just thought because that mask mandate thing, it does affect people. People are so sick of wearing them on planes. I do always like that fake mask worldwide.com. But uh, anyway, I just wanted to get that out there because it is a, a, a story that might actually affect people in their day to day. Yeah. Well, Zelensky is continuing his worldwide World War Three promotional tour. And this time he sat down with CNN's Jake Tapper, who actually made the trip over to Ukraine to President Z. I like to call him President Z because I just think it's funny that <laughs> you're not allowed to use Z because that's the new Nazi symbol right. from Russia. But you have President Z leading the, quote, resistance over here. Yeah. Well, Tapper was inside it's his... it's Xi, right? It's what? Xi? Are you talking about the Chinese president? No, I'm talking about President Zelensky as President oh, Z. Oh, oh, okay. Got it, got it, got it. And the Russians have the Z on their war tanks Yeah, and stuff. yeah, that's yeah. right. Oh, my gosh. So Tapper's inside his actual chambers, not the bunker, not the fake bunker or whatever it is, but his actual nice office over there in Ukraine. And they spoke about a number of things during the interview, from the Russian warship that was sunk over the weekend to the upcoming Battle of Donbass. Is that how you say it? And also the possibility of Putin using tactical nuclear nuclear weapons. And here are some of the takeaways and thoughts that I had on this riveting interview with Captain Ukraine. So Tapper asked him if he was worried that Putin might use tactical nukes. And he asked him that because he said that the CIA director, William Burns, said that a desperate Putin may resort to using these nuclear weapons. The media headlines report them as nuclear weapons. Tactical nuclear weapons are maybe what a taxi driver would call small bombs. They're not... <laughs> my, my Uber driver, yeah. Yes, dangerous, yes, but they're not... The, the bombs nuclear... that Obama dropped were tiny, and I shouldn't right. hold that against him. Of even course, yeah. If, you know, so, liberals shouldn't... Even anti-war liberals shouldn't hold tiny bombs against a right, yeah, great yeah. president. So when asked about that, this is what Zelensky said. He said that this is not just something that Ukraine needs to worry about. This is something that all of the world needs to be worried about. This is a common theme in all of his answers. And that air raid shelters and anti-radiation medicine need to be available just in case. And what I thought was interesting about his response to this were a couple of other things that he put in there. He was speaking through a translator throughout the first part of the interview, but then when he answered this question about the tactical nukes, he began speaking in English. So, right. And for part of the answer anyway. Then he switched back to Ukrainian for the last part of the answer. But I don't know if this is a language barrier thing or if this is what he actually intended the way that he said it, but this is what he said during his answer to this. He said, chemical weapons, they should do it. Talking about Russia. They should do it. Like they should use it is what I took away from initially. And then he finished off saying they could do it. So it's very broken up the way he was speaking it. Yeah, 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 because he doesn't speak English. Right. But he very much said they should do it. 
as though that Russia he, should use chemical weapons. Yes. Now, maybe it was a language problem. Maybe he was start trying to say they could do it because he did later say that. But the way his inflection was sounded to me like he was saying, if I were Putin, I'd do it. So they should do it. That, that's maybe I'm but reading. Why? Too much why that. even would they? Did he say why? Because why would you use chemical weapons? I have no idea. Yeah. Because yeah. it would give Ukraine the justification it needs to continue getting all these weapons and stuff it's asking for. So therefore, yeah, because the idea of using chemical weapons in an area that you might want to occupy is like kind of the opposite of what you would ever, right? What well, isn't one of the arguments that it's a scorched earth policy, but you wouldn't scorch the earth if you're trying to liberate the people who live on that land. Right. Maybe not. You know, maybe they're, they're I don't know. But like, I would think that chemical weapons is what you might want to use far away. Yeah, you're really vicious. Right. The a land that you're not going to take. And yeah. he did finish up what he said about the whole world. And he emphasizes over and over again. We should not be afraid, not be afraid, but be ready. Be ready. But this is not a question for Ukraine, a question for the whole world. And OK, so the tactical nukes was a major question that Tapper put into that conversation. And I thought it was interesting. <laughs> that there was also a story today in the news that was amping up those fears. And the story was about how a portable nuclear device went missing from a stolen car in Pennsylvania. So it just happens Pennsylvania to be. Pennsylvania has been in the freaking news every single day. Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, the guy, the New York City subway shooter was from Philadelphia. There's Pittsburgh yeah. and um the fire, the mass mandate, there's so much coming out of Pennsylvania right now. Right. And and this was what? What came out of Pennsylvania? Well, apparently there was a stolen vehicle off of a construction site, and inside of it was a portable nuclear device. That's how the article puts it anyway. What does that mean? But what it was was a device containing radioactive material that belongs to a local construction inspection company. And the device, it's a portable nuclear gauge and is often used at construction sites to evaluate the properties of building mm-hmm. and road bed materials. Yeah, but it's if mishandled, it, it could expose people to radiation or contamination. So the headlines, portable <laughs> nuclear your weapon taken from construction site. That is so crazy. Yeah. And there is, they do use radioactive material in medical care. Yeah, I think they use it in quite a bit of places so they can have stories like this everywhere if they want to amp up these fears when they have this nuclear conversation talk. However, I do think that there will be some sort of weapon that is used that is called a nuclear weapon that is not the nuclear weapon with the mushroom cloud you're thinking that we see on TV, Mm -hmm. but is a tactical, smaller nuclear weapon. I think that that will become part of the narrative that Russia used some sort of tactical nuke on Ukraine. The front page of RT today had an editorial that said we are closer than ever to World War III and had a giant mushroom cloud as the picture. So I guess that narrative is coming from both directions. Yeah, it sure is. Maybe Putin took that nuclear weapon from the construction site in Pennsylvania. I it have no could idea. have been. It could have. Another thing they talked about was the story of the Ukrainian mother crying after she learned about her son's execution and Buka Bucha. I've heard it said both ways. Yeah, I would say Buka, but yeah. Are you familiar with the story of this woman? Uh, that particular woman? I don't think so. I haven't seen the full video. I don't think anybody's seen the full video, but she is crying, wailing, found out her son died. This is a story anyway. Whether it's true or not, I have no idea. But Tapper asked what goes through his mind as president and a father when he sees a mother like this crying after finding out her son was executed. And this is really interesting. He said that when he sees that, all he wants is revenge and to kill. That's that's what he said. 
And then he later reiterated these feelings, saying that when people see something like this, there is a desire for revenge so that there's an outcome so that someone is punished. I mean, it's very specific to bring this up again, very specific to emphasize revenge, punishment. And what this is to me is it's like watching the movie A Time to Kill. So you want Samuel L. Jackson's character to not be guilty when you're watching that movie. You feel that what he did was justified because of the horrific act of the person that he killed at the very beginning of the movie. So that's the type of sentiment that he's trying to drum up among the public that he wants support for this war, that it's okay to want revenge. It's okay to want to kill these monsters because it's justified. I mean, a president, a head of state saying in a public interview that when he sees a video like that, all he wants to do is kill yeah, I mean, obviously he's saying what he what the whole purpose of that kind of propaganda I is. I think so. I think it's exactly what it is. Maybe laying the groundwork for when he just pops off at, you know, starts doing atrocities himself. But a lot of these stories that are coming out about the Russian atrocities are actually, I mean, some of them are, it's the Ukrainians doing it against right. the Russian-speaking people. And, so and they said, like, right. they were just killing them for speaking Ukrainian. That's... My what I heard is that they were killing them for speaking Russian. Ukrainians were killing people who were speaking Russian. Yeah, I've heard various stories about that as well, similar where the people in Bucha Buka were killed because they were being nice to the Russians because they were they were eating their rations and they had white armbands on, which means non-combatant. They were speaking Russian. They were they were culturally Russian, and that was that. Yeah. Well. And the yeah. Mariupol thing, too, it was the Azov Battalion who was shooting at the feet of the people who were running to the humanitarian car. And that's the thing. So he's projecting, that's on tape. he's projecting this feeling, yet most people are not going to step back and ask these questions that we just asked. Is that story actually true about the woman and her son, or oh is it also gosh, like a time to kill and a fictional? I don't know. Dave Matthews appeared on the show as well, and he sang his new song. On the for show? Yes, on, on the Jake, Jake Tapper show? show. Yeah, he, he appeared and he sang his new song. I don't even remember the title, but it was terrible. And then he called for the world to pitch in to help these Ukrainian refugees who have fled. And finally, President Z was asked about that Russian warship that sank. And interestingly, even though every mainstream article says that it was Ukraine that sank it. Russia's story is a lie, even though we have no evidence either way. President Z, when asked, did not say that. The, all he said was he was you know, basically happy about it. He expressed that. But he said only time will tell what happened. So the media says he did it, yet he doesn't say he did it. It, it is definitely a little mysterious what happened with that. And uh, I do I want to tell people a little bit about that. But did you say that uh, something about the Pope? Well, the Pope is warning of nukes also. I forgot about that. Yeah. Warning of nuclear weapons being used. A lot of nuclear themes today. To drum yeah, up that trying to fear. scare us Definitely. about that. I did just want to say one thing about that ship, just to fill people in if they don't know. It's the Moskva, and it was the flagship of the Black Sea Fleet. So the big thing about Crimea is that it's the it's the home of the Russian Black Sea Fleet. There's no way they were ever going to give up Crimea. And the Russians are saying there was a fire and that's why the ship sank. But our people are saying that there was, I think I actually have this somewhere. Um, I was looking at it for a different reason, but anyway, our people said that, that they fired a couple of missiles, Neptune missiles, I guess, and sunk that ship and that Russia was trying to tow it back, but it just didn't make it. There were hundreds of people who manned that ship, presumably who were on the ship, and so far we've only heard of 
dozens getting off, but I doubt there was massive. I don't know. There's no reports of massive loss of life, but there was a report that the captain lost his life. Uh, So anyway, that seems like a terrible blow. I can't imagine that that was anything but a blow to Russia. Yeah. And when they were reporting on this, Brian Stelter, host of Reliable Sources, the most unreliable source on television, he premised his show by saying, we have no real way to verify what either side is saying. Russia is saying it was the fire, as you said, and Ukraine is saying that they took it down. And without information to verify on either side, what do we do? How do we determine what's true or not? Well, here's what we know. Russia lies. Everything <laughs> Russia says is a lie. And then well, they we're not even saying that. we know for sure what happened, are we? No, but they want us to know that everything that Russia says is a lie. There was a guest on who literally said that. He said it's easy to tell what happened because everything Russia says, everything is a lie. Anybody who says something with that level of absoluteness is clearly the one who's lying. (laughs) Right, right, because a normal person would say we're not really sure. Yes. Or it could go either way. Yeah, no, it's all, it's really, that is a good tell that it's total propaganda. Yeah. Okay. I'll give you a quick one and then we can uh, move on to the, sure. the the deep dive. I got an update for you on the oh. New York subway shooter. Just a little yeah, update. Yeah. Great. So even though the guy called the tip line himself, yeah. five people are going to be splitting the 50K reward for helping police capture the guy. Now, they won't say who the five tipsters were and... Here's what the NYPD had said. He said, the public is who we serve, but they are also often our best partner. We urge the public to join us in this effort to find this suspect and New Yorkers stepped in. See something, say something. So even though the guy called it in himself, we still want to make this a celebration of the effectiveness of see something, say something of crowdsourced FBI work, which has been a major theme. What is up with that weirdness that he called it in himself? Like I don't what know. Is up with that, that to me is the most interesting part of it, and they yeah. just kind of gloss over. I know all of it's that. A, it's just one of those details. I think these psyops are a little more freewheeling than we're led to believe. Like if he's really a patsy and not an an agent, yeah, then something like that might happen. They were just waiting to catch this guy, and he like sees himself on TV. Yeah. And New York Mayor Eric Adams, he called for more focus on psychiatric services. This was yesterday on, I think, MSNBC, one of those channels. And he said, we need funding from the state to open more mental health beds. I rallied during the height of COVID to talk about the closing of mental health beds that they will use for emergency COVID medical needs. But now we need to get more beds online. So he wants to switch it. I say, why don't we just take the COVID center of the hospital sign off of the wall and just put mental health facility since COVID causes mental health. Yeah, that's really interesting because all the COVID policies were predictably going to increase mental health issues. Yeah. And to think that they went out of their way when there were roving citizen journalists showing us empty hospital after empty hospital in New York. I mean, they were empty. There was no reason to do that. And if they were kicking mentally ill people out and blaming it on COVID, they could have that could have been contributing to the homeless problem that I've pointed out is being driven by policy in a lot of different places. So I could see, I mean, I didn't even know they were doing that, but that that's a policy decision. Yep. 
Now, it's going to be interesting to see where that goes, the morphing of the mental health with uh, the COVID. Well, I think that they're rounding people up for mental health purposes. I think you've got everything from the drug addiction, homelessness, the troubled teen industry, all pointing to big, big, big pharma sales. Big. All leads back to big pharma. By the, by the government, you know, the government paying for the pharma and forcing people to take it. All right. Before we get to our deepest dive of the day, where we will try to get to the bottom of the diverging Ukraine narratives from East and West, I want to tell you what we're going to talk about in the XR, which is that the Easter Bunny shows the signs of the times in more ways than one. But before we get to all of that, do us a favor and check us out on Patreon if you haven't yet. Patreon is one of the many ways we fund the show. We do a lot of cool and informative stuff on there. We publish bonus content every day of the week. And regardless of what tier you are in, you will get that premium content. And on top of that, we offer that premium content ad-free. So we take the ads out for the Patreon subscribers. And also we have on our higher tier levels, we have Zoom parties. We have one coming up. And we also have DPPs and patron-only Q&A. So check all of that out. Starting at 7 bucks a month and you can check out the tier you like and test it out see which one fits for you patreon.com slash propaganda report and now on to our deepest dive of the day so i've been hearing all this ukraine stuff i find it overwhelming i don't know if you do too it's hard to keep track of all the stories what's happening in mariupol that there was this bombing in lviv which was previously considered a a city so far from the action that it was safe i knew someone who was teaching english over there she was always like, don't worry about Lviv. Like, there's no no way there's going to be any problems there. Yet I woke up this morning to hear about bombings there. And uh, like we were saying about the Bucha thing, like was it Ukrainian speakers getting killed or was it Russian speakers getting killed? Like it's just very hard to so sort through it. And so I went to some of the old sources I used to go to when I followed more of the foreign stuff when it actually wasn't such complete glaring propaganda night and day that it lost my interest in everybody else's. But there are some good sources out there. And one of them, I don't always agree with his angle, but uh, you get a lot of good information from Moon of Alabama. Have you ever check out Moon of Alabama? It's pretty popular. So, so there was a very divergent viewpoint. And of course, when you, when you listen to somebody like that, yeah, maybe there's an underlying agenda. I don't know, but there's a lot of detail, a lot of detail, a lot of narrative. There's a lot of like, this is the strategy. This is the goal. These are the tactics. And it makes sense to you. So if you're not getting that from the mainstream media, to me, there's, that's when you get that position that we were talking about earlier in the show where I don't, what do you believe? I don't know. You know, the best you can do is, I don't know, not, well, that guy lies. That's, yeah. you know, ridiculous. So just there were a couple of points, a couple of examples. One was CNN said this morning about, uh, it said civilians, including women, children, and the elderly are sheltering inside the Azovstal iron and steel plant in the besieged Ukrainian port of Mariupol, uh, says according to the chief of the Mariupol police patrol. He said that at the Avzovstal plant, it is one of the city's last bastions still under Ukrainian control, which has been a focal point of Russian bombardment for the past several weeks. And he said civilians are sheltering there, including women with infants, the elderly and small children. He estimated that there were about a thousand people there, but that they had quite a large reserve of food and water. So they should be okay for a while. <laughs> Moon of 
Alabama says Russian and Donbass forces have cleared the city of Mariupol except for the giant metallurgic complex of Azovstal, which is held by some estimated 4,000 men, including many from the fascist Azov battalion. He says that on, on Sunday... Russia opened corridors across the front line and asked for those forces that were holding that uh, metallurgic complex to to surrender. But Zelensky or the Zelensky government ordered them to stay to hold down the Russian forces so that those forces could not be move on to the next front. So they're just there fighting to occupy the Russians. But that makes sense. That makes sense. It doesn't make sense that there are a bunch of women and babies and old people that are getting bombarded by the Russians. They said the Russians gave them until Sunday morning to lay down their weapons or they would be, quote, eliminated. The forces ignored the deadline. Ukrainian officials vowed that they would not surrender. And the Russian assault assault intensified with missiles and bombs hitting the city. So I haven't seen the latest of that, but I, I, I have heard of some pretty impressive video of destruction at the hands of the Russians. And I'm not sure it was that exact plant, but I will check that out. So it says the, the Azov complex is huge. It's a two by two mile area and it's controlled by a relatively small force. They presumably no longer have heavy artillery, which has been destroyed. And the Russian forces can now see and bomb anything that moves on open ground. So those guys will just be held down for a while. You know, and to me, that's okay. That makes so much more sense than than them going in there like that gives both sides of the story. It tells me what's happening. If you ever read history or war or anything like that, stories of you know, I actually hate those historical accounts of battles that just go on for chapter after chapter. I cannot stand the blow by blow, but there's always a blow by blow. And the narrative that we're hearing is like not valid at all, in my opinion. Yeah, it makes you really rethink all the stories that we have heard historically about uh, yes. and everything growing That's up. Because all- this is right. obviously not the truth being told. It's this battle of narratives that we're seeing. <laughs> When they rewrite history like Churchill always promised to do, they have to put a lot of detail in and you can like contradict some of those details. You could probably get to the truth just by looking into it. We don't even get the detail anymore. Russia's bad. There are babies in there. Putin loves killing babies. Obviously, it's Putin killing babies because he loves killing babies. Right. It's his (laughs) favorite thing to do. Yeah. He couldn't find any place else to kill babies. Even in the the history of Ukraine, Russia's history versus Ukraine's history of itself, that's different. That's a fight over control of that history. Yeah. Now. But I I think it was, I I don't think it really was too much in dispute before we started rewriting it as we do. Anyway, so uh, there's another thing about the Lvov stuff, which I was a little puzzled about why they were going to Lvov. So Moon of Alabama says that on April 16th, which was Saturday, Russia shot down a Ukrainian military transport plane that was bringing Western weapons to Odessa. Today, it destroyed another ammunition depot near Lvov, where Western weapons are crossing the border into Ukraine. And then this is this is really funny. This is what that Ned Price. Remember who Ned Price is? He's a Pentagon spokesman. He used to be in the CIA who had that little back and forth with the Associated Press journalist, the only journalist anyone's ever heard from in the past probably 20 years. So here's Ned's take. So Moon of Alabama says Lvov is where the reason that they're hitting a place so far to the west is that that's where the weapons are crossing over. And that makes sense, right? Yeah. Ned Price. The fact is. 
that Russia, more than just launching an invasion, more than just launching a war, has launched, is undertaking a campaign of terror, a campaign of brutality, a campaign of despicable aggression against the people of Ukraine. So when it comes to what we've seen in recent hours and in terms of the strikes against Lviv, in terms of the strikes in the outskirts of Kiev or Mariupol, Kharkiv, what we've witnessed in Bucha, there's clear indications, clear testament to the campaign of brutality, the campaign of terror that the Russians are waging against the people of Ukraine. I mean, there's nothing in there that, that means anything. It's just atrocity platitudes. And, and the other thing that's like a weirdly implausible story is that Russia is underestimating things, that Putin's not listening to his, his generals, that they're losing. They're not losing. Yeah, not how did they lose but also be so menacing and destructive at the same time. Right. And in places as far to the West as Lviv, like where, what, where there are no bounds to what they can do, but they are in, there's no bounds to what they can do, but they are losing. Yeah. And, and the soldiers crazy. are groveling and, and begging to be accepted by Ukrainian stories like that. Just doesn't, it doesn't add and up. They're, and they're wasting their time on these atrocities when they can't, they can't even make any progress. I mean, the whole thing. The, but what I don't understand is why Ukraine doesn't come to the table. Like, what What are they... This was one of the things that Moon of Alabama asked but did not answer. What are they... I mean, I, the only thing I can think of, and it's just very obvious, is that they're they're just waiting for this to get so bad that the West, NATO, whatever will just go in there and start World War III. That, I that's think that's really exactly what is what going on. After. Based on everything that Zelensky is doing and what he's signaling to different countries around the world and different audiences, that's exactly what I think is happening. I think this is the great reset in action. He is the man orchestrating it, The maybe the final lap of it. I don't know. Well, it just seems like a really, really crazy game if they want yep. So I was reading this thing called, I'll keep this short, I know we're low on time, but I was reading this thing called Morale, First Line of Defense. This is from 1941, and it was a conversation between Edward Bernays, Harold Laswell, and this guy Norman Thomas, who was the national chairman of the Socialist Party at the time, and the only actual reasonable one on the Uh, the panel. Wow. Laswell was kind of reasonable. Was it a transcript? Yeah, it was a transcript of this uh, panel discussion that they had, and conversation is about whether or not we're going to join World War II. And Bernays is an av- you know, advocating that we need morale as our united front, and essentially we need to manipulate the public into thinking and doing what we want them to do, and that is what he defines morale. And he basically. wanted us in World War II, Of course, yeah, yeah, he loves it. And loves was it. that in the transcript? Was that clear? Yes, it's very clear by reading the transcript. And the socialist did not want that, so he was questioning a lot of Bernays' things. And then it was really interesting because at one point during the talk, Bernays said, the fact is that we are under intense psychological warfare right now by the enemy. They are attacking us <laughs> psychologically. He is the enemy. Which is exactly what, yeah, yeah, and that's what he does. But that's yeah. also what we're doing right now. We're saying we're under intense psychological warfare against the enemy. Therefore, we are right. using that to justify our own use of psychological warfare. Well, that is the oldest trick in the book for sure. Yes, of course. So, interesting stuff. All right. Should we tell patron saints that we will do a Zoom party this Saturday? Yes, let's do it. We're going to do a Zoom party this Saturday, 11 o'clock Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. 
the way the Zoom party works is if you're a patron saint, you get a link, uh, an invitation to the Zoom party. It's about two hours. And we all chat face to face about whatever's on our minds at that time. And one thing I really want to talk about is this concept of post-libertarianism or, or a post-ideological strategy to take back liberty or restore the Constitution. Like, where are we in in the plan? Like I've said before that we've spent a lot of time talking and now stuff is real. What if lockdowns come back? Like, what are we going to do? And I want to, I thought we could just brainstorm about that. See, kind of get each other's feelings. And yeah. I would love to hear what it. people have to say. Yeah, I know. That. And then we have quite the audience for that. People will really have something to say because you've got everyone from, you know, gun right activists to, uh, you know, people who are homesteading. Yeah. Which also I am making my first batch of sauerkraut. It takes like three weeks and it saves you like a dollar. Awesome. That's well, so, yeah, you got to save a little bit over so time. I'm probably not, not saving the world one jar of sauerkraut at a time, but we can talk about that too. Fantastic. You guys can find your drive time news blast every week afternoon at thepropreport.com or your favorite podcasting platform with the Propaganda Report podcast feed. If you want to access that extra content or that Zoom party we were telling you about, go to patreon.com slash propaganda report and sign up there. We will talk to you guys tomorrow or in the DMBXR. Have a fantastic rest of your day.